Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me again today as she does each and every week for our weekly mailbag episodes, is my co-host, Charlie. Charlie, I gotta ask you, I think you made it through the game, but how did you enjoy your first night game between the hedges since, and I looked it up, November 9th, 2019, just a couple months short of two years? I survived. You survived. I survived. So everyone else was thriving. You saw the stadium. People were going wild. People are excited. Night games. People love... But not you. I mean... You were actually complaining. Like, while we were tailgating, you were kind of complaining about the fact that this... Not kind of. You were completely complaining about the fact that you had to stay up for a night game. I wasn't complaining. Well, you made it clear that you... stating that I would prefer a noon or a 3.30 kickoff. How many people, Charlie, do you think in this country that like college football, that go to college football games prefer noon kickoffs to 7 o'clock starts? Probably like 10. 10 people or 10%? 10 people. Probably 10 people. It's definitely not 10%. I will admit, like, I like a good noon game because I can come home and watch all the other games. I do enjoy that. And a lot of times you have the best games. If you play at night, all the other best games like Penn State and Auburn all at the exact same time. So I was up until about 2.30 a.m. watching that game last night. So that wasn't fun. I get that. But... The vibe, the electricity, the stadium—like that's—that makes up for, right? I mean, yeah, but yeah, I just don't really. But it's not for you. No, it's not. Did you? I mean, the guy behind that sits behind me—he's an older guy. Tap me on the shoulder. He's like, "What's wrong with you today?" And I was <laughs> like, it's "Just you know, it's usually this is like my bedtime." Yeah, I mean, by the second quarter, like what? You go to bed at like what? Eight, eight thirty. Nine. Nine? Like nine. Nine o'clock, really? Yeah. On the regular? Yeah. That's your bedtime? Yeah. Like, I was kidding, say 8, 8.30. Like, it's really nine? I know you go to bed early. Nine? I mean, nine, 9.30, yeah. What, you get up when? Like, five. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Those, what, eight hours of sleep if you fall asleep right at nine, which I don't know if you do, but nine? Yeah. So, I mean, I get why you have trouble staying up for, for these late games. That makes a lot of sense. But still, you got to say it was... Awesome to get back between the hedges for a night game for the first time since November 9th, 2019. That's crazy. Did you manage to stay awake the entire game? Last question on that. 
Uh, yeah. So you didn't doze off? Yeah. Because if you dozed off, like, uh, I, I mean, I, that's I, a problem. We, I left at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and I was home by 10.30. Did you stay for the light up Sanford? Yeah, I stayed that? for that. Do you actually put your phone... You don't ever strike me as a person that would put your phone up in the air and No, do I that? like to enjoy... And so I just take it in. What do you mean you like to enjoy? You can hold your arm up with your light on. Uh, yeah, but I just like to watch. That makes no sense. I'm sorry. What do you think about the wave? Oh, you, the wave. Uh, I, I, I've been to a lot of Georgia football games in a lot of different stadiums. I have never been part of a wave inside a college football game. Was that a first? That was a first for, for you, right? Like I don't think I've ever seen that. Correct. I mean, it's happened, I'm sure, just not in stadiums that I've been in. I've been into a lot of Georgia games, so that was weird. Uh, that And it went around, like, what, five times? Uh, a lot. It kept going. I well, it you could started, tell were, and they couldn't get it going, and then they finally got it going. Yeah, that that you can tell you're blowing somebody out, and people are, like, not into the game as much anymore when you start doing the wave. And not just once, but it just goes around and around mm-hmm. and around. So, yeah, that was... That was a first. But all right, you guys sent us another batch of awesome questions to discuss like you do each and every week, which we always appreciate. And we will get to all those questions in just a minute. But first, I do want to take just a moment to remind you about our good friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, make sure you are watching their site daily. I do that just kind of as a rule of thumb is if any new gear comes out, that's because I'm weird like that. That's what I do. But all I'm telling you, I've seen it. All the cold weather gear is starting to trickle out. The hoodies, the long sleeve shirts, the jackets, all that stuff. It's on its way out. They've got a few new items in. Check all that stuff out. The new official, like the, the, the coaches, the Nike coaches polo you see right now, those are the early season polos, even though now we're in week, what, we're going into week four. Usually the official polos are released a, a couple of weeks, a month or so before the season. This year with COVID and supply shortages, that has got pushed into the season. So you might have seen some of the coaches on the sidelines, not our coaches, but other coaches around the country wearing like the official ones. So those should be out here in just a matter of days or weeks. We'll be checking on that. And hey, if you're making the trip to Nashville and looking for some car flags or decals for your car, Alumni Hall, trust me guys, they have you covered on that front. I've never seen a better collection of car decals and flags for your cars, these road games. And Charlie, what is your opinion on that? Like, Car flags, decals for when you're going to road games. Like, do you like? Do you actually use those? I don't mind the magnets. I just don't like to listen to the flags. Yes, they're magnets, not decals. What am I talking about? Can I say decals? That no, magnets. They're definitely magnets. Yeah, they're magnets because they stick on the side of the car. Yeah, I, I, I like a good magnet. You like the flags? I just don't like listening to them. They do make noise. Yes, I'm usually taking a nap. Honestly. Because my wonderful wife, uh, she's the one that, well, she likes to be in control. She, she likes to drive. So I get to sit back and just relax and, and uh, try to take naps. hard to when that thing's just beating, beating, beating. But hey, as part of the deal. But is there like a, like when is too, when is enough enough with the flags and magnets? It's like you see some cars and it's like every inch of the car is covered in magnets. To you, each their own. You have like eight flags. It's I like, think less is more, personally. Yeah, to each their own. I totally agree. I, I like... To me, there's something cool about like you're driving in enemy territory. You got the flags, you got the the magnets. You're you're repping the G, all that stuff. I love that. Like I, I feed off of that kind of thing. I totally buy into that. But you do see sometimes it's like, man, that's that's a lot. Like you must have been collecting magnets for like 40 years, which is cool. And you're right, teach their own. But I think just uh, there there is such a thing as maybe a little too much on that. But trust me, guys, if you're in that kind of thing, you're looking for if you head down to Nashville or up to Nashville, I should say, then Alumni Hall has you covered. Of course, if you're a student or if you're a veteran, you get a 10% discount on every single purchase. You can shop 
in store in the Epsbridge Shopping Center here in Athens or online at alumnihall.com. So make sure to check them out, guys. But all right, you've got questions and we've got answers. At least we'll try to give you some answers. So Charlie, where are we starting today? All right, well, even after Alabama's lackluster performance against Florida on Saturday, the Tides still found themselves atop the polls. So Bryson wants to know, should Georgia be ranked number one? What do you think, Charlie? I mean... Have we done enough to be number one? I think right now, yes. Based but on... people would say that, historically, Alabama... You're the king until somebody that, dethrones right, you. Right, right. And that's the argument people make. My argument is, this is a new season. I agree. I can see both sides of it. I mean, I, I understand people say, hey, I give... You hear this all the time. It's just regurgitated over and over and over again in the national media. Well, you know, they're the king until somebody beats them. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess, but that was last year. This is a totally different year. What happened those previous years should not matter in this individual 2021 season. That's always just been a pet peeve of mine. That team doesn't exist anymore. That Alabama team from last year does not exist anymore. Some of the same players on the team, sure. It's a different team. It's, it's a different coaching staff. Sure, Nick Saban's still there, but it's not the same team. So I think if you base rankings on performance, which is what I strongly believe rankings should be based on, absolutely Georgia should be ranked number one. And call me a homer if you want. That's fine. I do not care. But objectively, look at our performance. I know Clemson didn't look great against Georgia Tech. They didn't beat them by as much as people thought they were going to beat them by. But there's also about a four-hour weather delay there. So that factors into things as well. But look, we clearly have, in my opinion, the best win on the year to date. And it might end up being the best win in college football the entire regular season. We'll see. We'll see what Clemson ends up doing. We know the ACC is not great. I think they might have a sneaky game here against NC State, but maybe that game against Tech when they didn't blow them out like they should have might have got their attention. They have a good week of practice. But I mean, I think it's more likely than not that Clemson ends up going undefeated the rest of the way in the regular season. So by the end of the regular season, that will probably still look like the best win of any team in America, beating Clemson who is still a top 10 team. They're trying to get their offense going, obviously, right now. But I think that I still would say at this point, I expect that to happen. And again, the ACC, there's a large margin for error in the ACC. And then you saw what we did against UAB. Uh, look, I know UAB is a group of five team. I understand that, 56 to 7. But guys, UAB, I still will maintain, is a good group of five team. That's a good team. And we just absolutely destroyed them. South Carolina is not very good. We beat them 40-13. to 13. Should have probably beaten them more if we, were, if we wanted to. We easily could have basically stopped trying to score in the fourth quarter for all practical purposes there. And then a fumble that wasn't really a fumble ends up going against us there. And they end up scoring the first touchdown on our defense, which wasn't really our starting defense. So look, if you base it on performance, what I'm saying is we have performed better to this point than any team in America through three games. It's a very small sample size, extraordinarily small sample size. But when you're ranking, you're doing your rankings, you have to base it off what you've seen. And through three weeks, what we've seen, Georgia has played better than any team in America. We have the best win out of any team in America, in my opinion. And I want to give credit to our, to our guy, Cliff, longtime listener, good friend of the program, Cliff. I, I believe it was Cliff who tweeted this out to me or tweeted this to me that we are fourth nationally in scoring margin right now, and we've played an SEC team, a defending Conference USA champion, and Clemson. All right? So if that's the case, we are fourth in the country in scoring margin. I haven't like verified that myself, but I trust Cliff. Cliff's on top of these kind of things. That's pretty impressive when you consider who we played. I know, again, South Carolina is not very good, but still an SEC opponent. 
You got a good group of five team and you got Clemson. And look, even if you subscribe to this notion that, oh, Alabama, they're the champion from last year. So until somebody beats them, they're still going to be number one, which I don't buy into. But if you buy into that, okay, whatever. But looking at the, the AP poll this week, what was it? I think, yeah, Alabama has 59 first place votes. Georgia has three. What are we talking about? Is that based off what's happened on the field? I know you, Florida's a good team. And yeah, I get it. Florida's a tough place to play. I understand all that. But guys, Florida is a good football team. I think we have some questions about this later on. Florida's not an elite football team. I will still maintain that. Florida is not an elite football team. They're good. They're talented. They have some good players. Dan Mullen's a really good offensive coach. As much as I, I give him some, some grief on this show, he's a really good offensive coach. you got to admit that. But Florida is not an elite team. And Bama very easily could have lost that game. And to me, they're very clearly not the same Bama team. As I said in the preseason, guys, they, again, we'll get into this more later on the episode, this is still a really good Bama team, a really talented Bama team. They will never not be talented and never not be good under Nick Saban. It's just not possible. But I will also say this is not a vintage Bama team. That's what I said in the preseason. That's why I didn't pick them to win the West. They'll probably still win the West now because A&M's quarterback situation. But it's not a vintage Bama team. There are some holes. Now, it's all relative, but there are some holes in this Bama team right now, offensively and defensively, that can be exploited. I'm not saying that we're a perfect team. We are far from perfect. We have a lot of things that we've got to improve on, that we've got to clean up, we've got to polish up. But think about what we've been doing, and we're not even close to healthy right now. The thing is, like, as good as we've been to this point, we're not close to being the team that we're going to be by the middle and the end of the season. That's, and that's a scary thought for, for a lot of people out there. So yeah, look, call me Homer if you want. I think if you base it off performance, Georgia should be the number one team in the country through three weeks. Not that that matters. And guys, rankings don't matter. They really don't until you get the college playoff rankings out. But it's a good talking point. And I guess it maybe matters a little bit for recruiting, I guess. But yeah, if you're talking about through three weeks, Georgia should be number one. Okay, well, the next several questions deal with the wide receiver position. So first up, Terrence says that we had nine different people catch a pass against South Carolina, but he's concerned that we don't have a true number one wide receiver. Excuse me. So who do you think is most likely to become the number one wide receiver for the dogs? Before George Pickens comes back and makes his triumphant return? Yes. Uh, okay, so Jermaine Burton's got two long explosive touchdown catches in the last two games. Obviously, didn't do much in week one, but he was just coming back off of an injury there. Jermaine Burton is a guy that we all expected to be that guy coming into the season. I think he still can be that guy, and he might be the most likely option right now. But, man, A.D. Mitchell, Charlie, this guy is for real, right? Yeah, seems to be. A.D. is that we heard so much about him going back to spring practice, fall camp, and it never kind of – it's not like Brock Bowers. There's so much about these guys – and it just kind of never went away. You might you were thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. They 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 came in real quick and, and turned some heads, but they're gonna hit that freshman wall. I, I, it hasn't happened yet, and, and maybe it will. But we're kind of getting to the point where like, if they haven't hit it yet, maybe they just aren't gonna hit it. So I think Ad Mitchell has a real shot to be that guy. I think he I think he's the most talented receiver that's currently playing for us right now. I'm not gonna throw him in there with George Pickens yet. And I love Jermaine Burton. I love Marcus Resume Jackson. I love Kiaris Jackson. But AD brings a little something different. He's got a combination of skills that make him a nightmare to deal with once he just starts to figure things out more and becomes more comfortable out there on the field and more confident on the field. I mean, this guy, number one, he has 
very strong route running ability. Like Jermaine Burr, that's one thing that makes Jermaine very good. Jermaine's a very strong route runner. AD is also a very strong route runner because he has some twitchiness. A lot, not some, a lot of twitches. He's the twitchiest receiver that we have. And that includes our slot guys based off what I've seen. And that is one thing that really helps you be a strong route runner. But you also give him space. I think he can make some guys miss out there. And also allow some, some of those freakish things like just contorting his body in the air to make difficult catches, like a la George Pickens. He has the ability to do those kinds of things. We haven't seen him do that yet in a game. We saw him do a little bit in uh, at G-Day, but that I've seen enough of him to know that he has that ability. And I fully expect us to try to get him more and more and more involved in this offense as the season goes on each and every week. I mean, he got his first start. He got his first start this week. Uh, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint still played a lot, and I'm still very high on him. But right now, if I had to pick one guy, and I love Jermaine. Jermaine could be the answer. But I think that A.D. Mitchell is the freakiest of all of our receivers in terms of like his just athleticism, his skill sets, and just a combination of skills that he brings to the table. I love the guy. I think he's going to be a superstar. And that could happen like as early as this, like middle of this year. He could, he could become that, like a national name. I think he could be. And there's no guarantee there. But I've seen enough from him from a skill set standpoint to say he has the potential to grow into that like in the next couple of games. I, I believe that. Whether it happens or not, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't guarantee that. But I think he's got the potential to do it. He's got to keep going out there and growing and learning and improving and and, and developing more confidence. But yeah, I, I've, I've seen enough to say AD can be that guy. Okay, so considering your thoughts on AD Mitchell, Gary wants to know if AD Mitchell or Brock Bowers is a bigger threat. Oh, man. Isn't it crazy that we're asking this question about two true freshmen? Two true freshmen, Charlie. Yep. That like, That's never happened for us. I Don't jinx it. I mean, uh, it's already happening. I'm not jinxing anything. Okay, I'm not going with it anyway. Sorry, superstitions. Um, okay, AD or Brock Bowers, ma'am. Ah, God. Okay, so Brock's leading the team in, in receptions and receiving yards right now through three games. AD is third in reception, or receiving yards just behind Jermaine Burton. I think that's my, my change uh, here shortly. I'm going to go Brock Bowers because it's the matchup problems he creates. Typically, he's going to be covered by guys that can't handle him. Whether it's a linebacker or whether it's a safety, they cannot handle him. We can do a lot of different things. And, and the crazy thing is, Charlie, he's doing this without Darnell Washington. You throw Darnell Washington in the mix, all of a sudden Brock Bowers becomes even more difficult to cover. And that has to be horrifying to defense coordinators that are on our schedule the rest of the way. I mean, he's already a handful right now without Darnell. You throw Darnell in there, what do you do? And then you got the emergence of A.D. Mitchell. You still got Jermaine Burton. You still got Marcus Josemi Jackson. Kyrus Jackson is just now getting worked back into things. Dominic Blaylock, I was told he was going to play. He was ready to play this week. He didn't ultimately end up getting out there. So I guess something happened between when I was told and, and Saturday. But we're getting healthier. And when we get healthy, it's going to just be scary. And we're already doing big things, obviously. Bigger things offensively than we've done in a long time. So... I'm gonna. I love both those guys. I don't think you can go wrong with either one of them. I'm gonna go with Brock because of the position he plays and the matchups that we can create that are very favorable that he can just dominate with. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. 
For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay. All right. Well, continuing with wide receiver talk. Darren wants to know how you view the wide receiver rotation moving forward, especially, again, with A.D. Mitchell and also the return of Kiaris Jackson. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. We played a lot of guys through the first three games. I think we had, what was it, nine nine guys. I think Terrence had this question. Uh, We had nine guys. Yeah, nine guys that made catches against South Carolina. So we're rolling a lot of guys in there. Justin Robinson's got into the action. He's made some. He actually had a touchdown catch against UAB. Obviously, you got the you got the big guys you know of Jermaine Burden, Marcus Jersey, Jackson, Lad McConkey's been out there. Uh, Jalen Johnson, the former walk-on, has been out there. Kiaris is now into the mix. AD. We've got a lot of guys that have gotten out there and played snaps for us at wide receiver. I think it's kind of like. You know, college basketball. If you guys watch college basketball, I watch a ton of college basketball. I love college basketball. Not college, not as much as college football, obviously, but I do love me some college basketball. But it's like, you know, early in the season, you, your bench is elongated. Like, you play like 10 or 11 guys. You might only get spot minutes here and there, but you play a lot of guys early in the season. But you get a conference play, and all of a sudden now you shorten that bench down to like one or two guys. You're playing six or seven guys. You don't play, you know, 10, 11 guys once you get in conference play. It just doesn't happen. So I think that's going to happen here once we get into the meat of our schedule. And I think what you're going to see, I think Kiaris is going to take a lot of snaps from Lad McConkey. I think Lad's going to continue to play because our coaches, I know our coaches do really like Lad, and he's a really athletic guy that can absolutely make some plays for us. Had a nice catch against South Carolina early in the first quarter. So he's a guy that can make some plays. I know our coaching staff likes him. But Kiaris, I mean, he's the senior. He's the vet. He's the guy that you can lean on. Led the team in receptions by one yard last year for George Pickens. So he's going to play a lot in the slot once he gets healthier. And then Dom Blaylock, when he comes out, I always feel like, I've always felt like Dom is really a true slot receiver. He can play outside. I just don't think that's where he fits best. But, I mean, he'll, he'll factor in there as well. So I think the odd man out there might be Ladd more so than, than um, some of the other guys. I think his snaps might dwindle a little bit. Justin Robinson's snaps, I think, might start to fall a little bit once we get into the, the teeth of our schedule there. So I think you're going to see probably a starting, a starting lineup of Jermaine Burton at Z, A.D. Mitchell at X, and Kiaris Jackson in the slot. I think you'll see Ladd rotating there at times. Well, and like maybe I would put Ladd ahead of Donald Blaylock right now because we just don't know where Dom is from a true health standpoint and confidence in that knee standpoint. So Ladd will play in there. And then you have Marcus Jersey, Jack Saint, that will be there at the X. And... Um, I, I, and you'll still have Justin Robinson find his way in there as well. But I think you'll really the lion's share of the snaps will go to a couple of guys. I think you see Jermaine Burton, A.D. Mitchell, Marcus Rosemey Jackson, Kiaris Jackson. Those are the four guys that we're probably going to roll with more than the other guys are getting snaps right now. Okay, well now we're going to move away from wide receiver talk 
Trey says that looking at the dueling narratives of Dan, and he says this, the Clown King. So these are not your words. Correct. Because you would never insult anybody. Well, I mean, I do, but. You do? You're not perfect. I'm giving him credit. The Clown King, Mullen's offensive genius, versus Alabama's defensive deficiencies this past weekend. Which one would you put more stock in? Of those dueling narratives? This is a fun question. I like this, Trey. Good question, man. Uh, Man, okay, so I think that Dan Mullen. Yes, I, I love I love the the title Clown King. I do love that. It's very apropos for him. I think he's a very good offensive coach. I think we have to acknowledge that he is. And then when he has a quarterback that fits what he does traditionally as an offensive coach, he can be tough to handle. And Emory Jones does fit that. Emory, Emory Jones is a, is a below average passer. We've seen that. I mean, we have plenty of evidence to, to that. But he can run the football, and that's. Typically, when Dan Mullins has his most productive offense, I don't know if this is going to be the most, one of the most productive offenses in Dan Mullins' tenure. I don't think it will be. I don't think they have all that talent. But their run game is opened up when he has a dual threat quarterback, a guy that can actually run the football. Think about the past couple years with Kyle Trask's quarterback. Their run game was non-existent because Dan Mullen does not know how to build a run game without a mobile quarterback. He simply does not know how to do it. He hasn't done it in his life. He, he just There's no evidence that he can do it. But when he has a mobile quarterback... Well, now all of a sudden, that running game becomes far more dynamic. And Alabama had issues with that. They clearly did. And I told you, I think there are holes in this Alabama team. It's not a vintage Bama team. They're good up front, but they're not as good up front as we are. And honestly, I don't even think it's really all that close. And they aren't as good in the secondary this year as they were last year. There's no Patrick Sertan back there. He's not there, guys. There are, there are, and like, again, when I say holes, it's all relative. It's relative to Alabama's traditional dominance, but they're just not as good on offense, and they're not as... I think they're better this year on defense than they were last year, because last year they just were okay. They are pretty good on defense. They were better towards the end of the season, but for chunks of that season last year, they weren't that good on defense. They were just so dynamic offensively, no one could keep track of them. Think about that Ole Miss game last year, that track meet. Not very good. But I think there are areas where they are, are are vulnerable. And plus, Dan Mullen does know how to scheme it up with when he has a mobile quarterback in terms of getting his ground game going. So I think it's a little bit of both, but which one do I put more stock in? I'm going to say there are some... I would put more stock in the Alabama defensive deficiencies. I, and I, I hesitate to say deficiencies. I just don't know if that's the right term because, again, we're talking about Alabama here. They're so good and so talented. But there just there are some holes, I guess is what I would say. There are some areas that can be exploited where they might be vulnerable to teams. And Dan Mullen, to his credit, was able to identify some of those areas and, and exploit them. Um, but I, I just think long term, I can't go with the Dan Mullen like offensive genius narrative. Although he's a very good offensive coach, I, I I don't think that Florida is that dynamic offensively. They're good offensively. They're good enough. But I don't think they're going to be like a, a top 10 offense nationally. Maybe a fringe top 10, I guess. But I don't think they're going to be near as good as they were offensively last year. All right. The next question comes from Kevin. He says, on a scale from 1 to 10, how concerned are you with the defensive backs right now? 1 being not concerned, 10 being very concerned. 10 being freaking out. Right. Well, See, defensive backs as a whole, I'm not all that concerned about. I feel really good about our safeties, Lewis Seen and Chris Smith back there. I really trust both those guys, and they're really good players. I think Darian Kendrick, I know he got that one pass completed on him yesterday, but that was just, you know, he got outfought there, mistimed his jump slightly. He was in great position, and, and Josh Vanderslip made a play. I'm not going to hold that against him all that much. 
So it's not really... And, and Brini's been really good at star, too. We're going to get Tyke Smith back there. I mean, we'll see how... I haven't seen him in action in the Georgia uniform, but based on what he was able to do in the past, I feel good about him there. So it's not the DBs as a whole. It's just that one cornerback spot. And obviously, Amir Speed gave up a big vertical passing shot uh, in that very first drive of South Carolina's and got ripped right out of the game. Didn't play a ton after that at cornerback. Uh, Ringo didn't give up the big explosive plays, but there were a couple where guys got behind him and those plays were there to be hit, and we just got lucky there. He was fortunate that Doty just couldn't hit him. As I told you guys, Doty's, you know, he, he threw a couple good balls, but he's not a consistent passer. He's kind of erratic there. And so we got fortunate. So it's that one spot. It's that one cornerback spot. So with the DBs as a whole, I would say, like I'd say like um, three or four maybe. I'm really not all that concerned as a as an entire unit now that one cornerback spot opposite Darian Kendrick where you have Amir Speed and Keely Ringo kind of battling it out still now that I would say you know maybe a a six like I'm not freaking out about it yet it's not on high alert it's not in that category it's not category five it's um like you know a slight concern slightly more than average concern um because I in this game you, you could clearly see that South Carolina had identified that position as a place that they could attack. And they took some shots. And they hit a couple of them. They missed a couple of them. But I think Keely Ringo is going to be the guy there. He has been in position more often than not. He has the he has the physical upside. He has the tools. He just needs more experience. And he's getting I think Keely Ringo is getting better and more comfortable, more confident with each and every game. I think it's pretty clear when you watch him play. I mean he looked I don't want to say lost out there against Clemson, but you could tell he was nervous and uh he was not like fully comfortable out there, but I think he's getting more and more to that point. That's just that's going to come naturally with time. So I think he's going to end up being that guy, and he's going to be very, very, very good when it all kind of falls into place for him. But yeah, I mean that position, I would say it's fair to say about a six. Like we gave up too many explosive plays there, or too many opportunities for them to hit, and better teams would have hit those plays. So we've got to shore that up. But I'm not freaking out about it yet because I, I like the rest of the secondary. Okay, well, the next question comes from G, and he wants to know who you think will play um, star when Tyke comes back. He says that Brini has played well this season so far, so it may be hard taking him off the field, and we really need to find a way to get both on the field. So what's your take? Yeah, we're definitely going to find I – mean, when so right now when we go to our dime package, we have two extra DBs that come on the field. So you have the star, and then we have what we call the money position, which is your sixth DB that comes on the field. And what we've been doing right now in the absence of Tyke Smith is we've been using Lewis Seen in that role. He's been playing the money, and we're bringing in Dan Jackson off the bench to play safety. That's what we've been rolling with. I think once Tyke Smith is fully clear and ready to go, in the dime packages at least, which is primarily our third long package, I just don't think you're going to see Dan Jackson out there as much. I mean, I don't know. Coaches trust him. They, they, Kirby's really high on him, really likes him a lot. And he's done a good job for us. But do we place a higher value on him or Tyke Smith? I think the answer is probably Tyke Smith. So I think what you'll see, at least in the dime package, is Tyke Smith coming in at the star or money, one of the two, whatever. And then you also have Brini on the field as well. Now, when we're in just our, our nickel package, where we only have five DBs on the field, and you have your two corners, your two safeties, and your star, the star is what Brini has been playing primarily. I think you'll probably see some sort of rotation there until one guy takes hold of that position fully. I agree with you. Brini's done a really good job. He has impressed me. Uh, I'm really proud of the guy. I, I, he's, he's a guy that I'm rooting hard for. He's, like I said earlier in the year, he's, he's hung around, waited his turn, worked hard, done everything the right way, could have transferred and did not. So I want him to do well, but I also want Georgia to be in the best position to win. So if Tyke Smith is the better player, then we got to roll with that. But I think you've got to continue to give Brini a shot. 
and continue to battle for that position once Tyke Smith gets healthy and gets out there on the field. But I think they'll both will play at the star position once he gets healthy. And it'll kind of be a battle there for a couple weeks to see who ultimately is going to end up kind of taking control of that spot. Okay. Well, the next question comes from, I apologize if I say this wrong, Guy? Guy. Guy. Okay. That's how we say it, at least. So I'm sure he, that's probably wrong. He has a question about James Cook. He says that we don't see enough of James Cook, and he looks like the most dynamic and versatile back that we have. Do you think they will try to continue using him in the future? Or we're definitely going to use it. That was a horribly phrased question. That's not what it says. Okay, well, let me read what the question says. Should we see more of James Cook? Okay, more Do of James Cook. Do you think Cook. we will see more of James Cook? I think we saw a good bit of him on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he made the most of his opportunities. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's actually getting some care. Like, we were actually running power with James Cook. And people always say, James Cook, he's just he's just like a, a scat back. He's just a versatile guy. He, he can't run between the tackles. Um, yeah, he can. And he's done it before. And now maybe not as with as much power and effectiveness as a guy like Zamir White and, and Kendall Milton. I get that. He's not a downhill runner like that. But we ran power with him, and he scored a touchdown and an explosive run on that play. So, yeah, I, I would love to see more of James Cook. The problem is we just have this embarrassment of riches at running back. You guys know that. I mean, we got guys that we got to feed. We want to get all these guys balls. They all deserve They can, all can make plays for us. And I know this can't be like the deciding factor, but you want to keep guys like Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton happy. Because those guys are going to be the backs of the future for us next year. So you don't want to do anything to you know upset them where they're going to transfer, which I don't think they will. I think they know the situation. They're going to be the guys next year. But they all, they all can make plays. They all deserve to play. And I, it's just tough to find time for all those guys. I mean, all those guys deserve like 20 touches a game. and But you don't have enough touches to go around and get all those guys 20 touches a game. So... I think it, it can be a game plan by game plan thing based on who you're playing. But James Cook definitely needs to have the ball in his hands. He needs to get 10 or so touches a game because you're right. He gets in space. And even even between the tackles, he can make things happen. He's one of the best playmakers on the team. Now, I do like one small criticism of James Cook throughout his career I've had is that I think he does like I've never seen somebody get tripped by the turf monster more than James Cook or get, or get tackled by his shoelaces more than James Cook. Like he can run with some power. And I've seen him do that too. But it's like if you touch his shoelace, he's going down. And when he gets in space like that, like it's just frustrating for me sometimes. I've seen him leave plays out there because somebody like grabbed his shoelace and then he goes down. It's like, come on, man. You got, you got, you got to break that tackle. You can't let that be what brings you down. There's, there's yards out there for you to get. But you're right. He is an awesome player, an awesome talent. He's coming into his own. We're finally utilizing him more. I w- you're right. I would like to see him used even more. But we're using him more than he ever has in his career. I think he has three touchdowns in the last two games combined. It's just tough, though, man, when you got all these guys that you got to feed. It's a very good problem to have, but it is, um, it's kind of a situation we're in right now. All right. The next question is very short and to the point. Josh says, Erickson, why? <laughs> it's a great question, Josh. I know we talked about this a little bit on the, on the official recap episode. And I told you guys, Curtis and I were texting back and forth during the game. And one of the topics of conversation for the entire game was Warren Erickson. And I really don't want to put this all on Erickson. I don't want to just kill this guy because... He's one of those guys, another one of those guys that stuck around for a long time, waited his turn, just gone to work, all those things. I just love guys like that. I really do. And I want to see him succeed. And it's not really his fault that he's playing out of position. He is a center. I guess you can say he is an interior lineman and he can play guard. Yeah, he can play guard. And he can he can do some good things. He made some good blocks last week in South Carolina. He opened some holes. He did some good things. It wasn't all disastrous, but he is a center. 
And again, like I said last week, the problem is when you have basically, you're playing two centers. And what I mean by that is you two guys that aren't as big. We don't have as much girth. We don't have as much muscle, as much size, as much mass, as much power on the interior as we need to. I mean, think about this, guys. You're replacing Ben Cleveland and Warren Harrison right now. We're just not getting the movement up front that we've that we've had in the past with guys like that. It's just not happening right now. And again, it's because Warren Erickson's playing out of position. It's not his fault. He's just the best option we have. He was not supposed to be playing guard. Tate Ratledge was supposed to be playing guard. And Tate is that kind of guy. Now, it's not, not as big as Ben, but he can get that kind of movement. But Warren just, that's not necessarily what he's built to do. And that's not his fault. It's just kind of his body. So that's, um, that's kind of where we are with that position. I'm with you though, Josh. I do think we need to get bigger and stronger in there and we need to find a way to generate more movement. Our running game has got to be more dynamic. We've been really, really good. I just said outside the show that we should be ranked number one right now, but it doesn't mean we're perfect. And one of those areas that we've got to continue to improve is on the offensive line, especially in the run game. We've got to get more movement. Now, I will say South Carolina has a very, very strong defensive line. It's the best part of that entire team. And I thought as a whole, I mean, we averaged almost six yards a rush. We ran the ball a lot better against South Carolina than we did against UAB. And I think South Carolina has a, I mean, I know they have a better defensive front. So I thought we did a better job there. And I thought Warren played better. But against the, the bigger teams that we're going to play down the road, the better teams, we're going to need to be bigger and stronger up front. And I just I just don't know if Erickson's the answer there. But, I, and, but to answer your question, why the coaches trust him, that's why right now they trust him to know what to do. And for them, that's taking precedent over, like I guess you could say, the raw talent. Raw talent's great. You got to have it, but you also can't have bust. You can't get somebody killed. And right now, just those other guys haven't stepped up and earned the coach's trust. And I think really what you're looking at, it's kind of what I mentioned last week. It's not necessarily like, oh, is there a guard better than Warren Erickson? Yeah, his name is Jamari Salyer. He's playing left tackle. He's better than Warren Erickson at guard. But the problem is we have to have Jamari at left tackle right now because we don't trust anyone else to play that position. And until somebody steps up and says, yeah, I can play this position at the same level or better than Jamari Salyer, then he's going to be playing left tackle and you're going to have Warren Erickson inside. That, that's just the way it's going to be right now. So I, we need Broderick Jones, Mims, Trust, somebody. I guess Jones being the one, is one that's been working there more to step up and earn the coach's trust at left tackle so that we can afford to put Jamari at guard, which would make our entire offensive line so much better. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, this is the part of the show where we get to the Georgia adjacent questions. So Xander says that he's heard you talk about how Kentucky was the toughest game left on our schedule. But he says, after seeing more from Florida and Auburn this past weekend and seeing Kentucky struggle against Chattanooga, do you still think Kentucky is the toughest game left on the schedule? No. I'm, I'm backtracking on this. Explain yourself. 
I still think Kentucky is one of the toughest games on the schedule. It is not so much about Kentucky. I, I, I'm not worried about Kentucky against Chattanooga. Like it, it was a letdown spot. They had the big SEC opening win against Missouri, and you come home and you're playing early day against Chattanooga, and you know you you just kind of sleep well through the motions. And that's what I was telling you guys about last week. We're better than Kentucky. I'm not trying to say we're on the same level there, but when you Think you're better, and you don't take the game seriously, and you sleep all through games. You can have games like that where you're Kentucky, and you win the game, what, 29-23 against, against an FCS opponent? I think that, that, that's what I'm talking about. That's why I was saying, hey, UAB can't sleep all through this game. If we come to play, we will murder them. If we don't, we this game can be a lot closer than it should be. We came to play, and we murdered them, right? Somebody got murdered. Name that show. I have no idea. Come on. I don't know. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, okay. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. Don't you you watch that show? I do, but I, I pop culture, eh, I yeah, can't clearly. remember anything. Clearly. Okay, anyway, we murdered them. Uh, but, like, if you sleep all through games and the other team comes to play, like, it can be closer. And I'm just, you know, I, that's a let down spot. So I'm not freaking out about Kentucky right now. I still think they're good. I still think they're, I think they're going to be Florida. I'm still going to stick with them, stick to those guns. It's, so it's not about Kentucky, it's more about Auburn. Auburn is better than I thought they were. I will give them credit. And really, they're better than I thought they were because Mike Bobo. Uh, Mike Bobo, just he's a good offensive coordinator, man. He really is. And again, it's not perfect. He had some calls the game against Penn State where it's like, huh? But they that offense under Gus Malzahn was just so incredibly blah. I mean, it was revolutionary when it was introduced back in like 2013 or whatever, whatever year it came to Auburn. 2012, I don't even remember what year it was. Whatever year. It was new and fun and cool and hip, and now it just got old and decrepit. And it was just bad. I mean, it was just just entirely predictable. Kirby had that offense completely figured out. And most teams did. So it just got old. Uh, it wasn't cool anymore. It wasn't cutting edge like it once was. It, it was just kind of antiquated by that point. And Bobo, now it was crazy. Bobo, so, they were, were lining up some I-formation like it was like 1.45 in the morning when I was watching that game. So I kind of like rubbed my eyes. and like, am I seeing this correctly? Is this actually I-formation football? Yeah, it's Mike Bobo did it. But he'll actually do the, the, the spread stuff as well and go empty. So Bobo's done a good job there. Um, I'm still not a, a believer in Bo Nix. Uh, he was fine against Penn State, but a better quarterback could have won that game for them. But I think that Auburn is more competent than I thought they were. And here's why I said this game's tougher. Where is that game play, Charlie? <sighs> At Auburn. Yes, the worst SEC college town. Maybe the worst college town in all of America. I haven't been to all of them, but the worst one I've been to. Yes, it's played there. And Charlie, that's a tough place to play. I'll give him credit. That can be a loud environment. And when we come to town, this is going to be a loud environment. So I think Kentucky actually might be better than Auburn. Might the, the Kentucky's defense is not as good as I thought they would. That's the thing. I think offensively, they're actually even better. I knew they would be better, but they're even better than I thought that they would be. But defensively, I don't know if they're quite as good. But Auburn, um, playing them on the road in Jordan-Hare. Yes, I don't say Jordan. It's Jordan. It's spelled Jordan. It's Jordan-Hare. We um, have to go there. That, to me, makes that game tougher. Even though I think Kentucky might actually be the better team. I'm going to say, I'm going to give the slight edge to Auburn here as the toughest game left the rest of the way. I know some people are going to say, well, what about Florida? You just saw them almost beat Alabama. Yeah, I did. But... I'm still not a believer in Florida as an elite team. I, I, it's just kind of what I thought Alabama was. Alabama's a really good team. They're just not the vintage Bama that they've been. And so I wasn't like completely just flabbergasted that they didn't just blow Florida out of the waters. I just think there's some questions about that Bama team. Okay. 
Uh, Jonathan would like for you to rank Bryce Young among previous Alabama quarterbacks like Mac Jones, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungavailoa, or even other top quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. And he wants to know some of his weaknesses and strengths compared to the other top quarterbacks of recent years. Yeah, so I've seen the guy play two games. Um, It's tough to say. It's very small sample size. I'll say right now, he's not where Mac Jones was last year. He's not where Tua was when Tua was rolling and healthy. I mean, he's not Justin Fields. Come on, he's, he's, he's not that kind of athlete. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's, he's, not, he's not going to be those kind of guys. He doesn't have the skill set. He can, do, he can move around well, and he's shifty, but he's not that kind of guy. Now, he is still a very good quarterback, and he's still really, really young. Uh, his best football is ahead of him. We still have to say that. He's going to continue to get better and grow and improve, like all young quarterbacks. I mean, he's, he's, he's still like a rusher freshman. He played some last year, but not a ton. Um, but this guy is a guy that the, the best attribute he has, I think, is his like escapability. He, he moves so well and so fluidly in the pocket. He can buy time, allow receivers to get open. So I really love that about his game. He throws a very nice catchable ball. He's an accurate passer. He can put the ball right on the money. I think he has a good arm. Um, not like a DJ Ungalay level arm, but a good arm. But the one thing that I kept just like screaming while I was watching the Alabama Florida game is, why are you not pushing the ball down the field? It wasn't, like, I know you can say, well, Georgia didn't push the ball down the field against Clemson, and that's because how Clemson was playing them defensively. Yeah, but Florida wasn't playing them like that. Florida was sitting with their safeties, like, really, for large parts of that second half, no deeper than like 10 yards. And they just were not trying to take those vertical shots down the field. And I don't think that's necessarily about Bryce Young. I think a lot of it has to do with the receivers. They don't, I told you guys coming this year, the receivers are still really good. John Mechie's really good. Jamison Williams is still really good. But they are not, definitively not the type of receivers. They are not like Jalen Waddle level. They're not Devontae Smith level. They're not Jerry Jude level. They're not Henry Ruggs level. They are not those kind of guys. So when you have a new quarterback who's still trying to get used to the system and your receivers are good, but not like that level of good, like first round, like shoe in first round draft pick kind of good. You're not pushing the ball down the field as much. You also have a new offensive coordinator you're factoring into the equation here who might not be calling the place to, in a way to give them opportunities to do that as much as Sarkeesian was. So I think that's a combination of all those things. I wouldn't put that all on Bryce Young. And by the way, that was a really tough environment. His first really, tr- I mean, that was his first road environment. And that was a tough place to play. So I think all those things factor into it. I still think he's really, really good. I like his escapability. I like his accuracy. But the size, I think, is something that's going to continue to hurt him a little bit. I mean, he's he, he, people give Stetson Bennett all the crap about being small and not being able to see over the line. Remember about last year about getting balls batted down? Guys, Stetson Bennett's bigger than Bryce Young. So I think Bryce, is, Bryce Young's going to have some of those issues throughout his career as well. That's why you got to move him out of the pocket to kind of create some of those throwing windows. Which, you know, I mean, I don't want to say that takes away from your offense, but it can make you more predictable at times when you have to roll the pocket to create windows like that for your quarterback. But I was just stunned that they didn't try to throw the ball more vertically down the field because Florida's secondary is not good. Kyrie Elam is good at cornerback. The rest of the, of the secondary is very, very questionable. And they just weren't even really trying to challenge in the second half. And I just could not figure out for the life of me why they were not. That's something that they got to figure out real quick. Okay. Matthew wants to know your opinion on Florida and Alabama. He says that after watching Florida keep it close with Bama on Saturday, do you think that Florida is better than people thought or is Bama not as great as everyone perceives them to be? Because it looks like Alabama had a hard time against the run. 
Yeah, they they had a tough time against the run, and they honestly struggled more against the run than I thought they would. I will say that. Um, but that's just like I said earlier in the show. That's more of a function of Dan Mullen having his type of quarterback, and, and he's going to generate a really strong run game. It's kind of it's give and take. Last year, last couple of years with Kyle Trask, the run game was garbage. It was trash. One of the worst in the SEC. But their passing game was better because they had a quarterback that could do that. They had really good receivers. This year, they don't have those kind of receivers. They don't have that kind of quarterback that can throw the ball, but they have a guy that can run the ball quarterback. So their run game is going to be better. But they're just not going to be able to put up the numbers in the passing game. So I don't know if I'm bringing back full circle here, if I'm ready to make some declarative judgments about Alabama's inability to stop the run. I, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. I think floor is a different animal with, when you're talking about Dan Mullen's offense with a mobile quarterback like Emory Jones. So I don't know if that's going to carry over to the other games on their schedule. But look, I, I did pick Alabama to cover this game. That, that I almost didn't know that, that 14 and a half, the hook really scared me. I didn't like, obviously they didn't come close to even covering 14. But I will... I think both those teams are kind of who I thought they were. I think Florida is a good, solid football team that's just not elite. I think Bama is a really good team that's probably, I mean, I guess they'll probably win the SEC West. They'll, they'll, they'll probably go 11-1, and 10-2, something like that. Probably 11-1 if I had to guess. And then I don't know if they're going to lose two games. But they're not a vintage Bama team. That's what I keep saying. And you're measuring that against their standard. They, against everyone else's standard, they're awesome. Against their standard, it's not the same kind of Bama team that you've seen the past couple years. They don't have the same kind of receivers. They don't have the same quarterback. They're not quite as good on the offensive line. Evan Neal's great, but the rest of the offensive line, they're good. They're just not what they were last year. They don't have the same kind of running backs. Brian Robinson, good-ish, solid. Brian Robinson wouldn't play for us. Guys, Brian Robinson would not get snaps for us at running back. And that's the starting guy at Alabama who's getting the lion's share of their carries. He's not Najee Harris. He's not elite. He's solid. He's okay. He's good. Defensively, they're better than they were last year, but they're not like a dominant defense necessarily, especially in the secondary. So I don't think I, I don't know if it's when you're looking at that game, is it that Bama's not as good as people thought, or Florida's better than people thought? I mean, I don't know what other people thought, but Bama is kind of what I thought they were after that game, and Florida's kind of what I thought they were. I, I didn't think it was gonna be a two-point game. I think Bama really kind of just went to a shell in the second half, and they just honestly I put a lot of that on Bill O'Brien. I think I, I think he caught a terrible second half. Bryce Young was just, man, he was, uh, I don't want to say shaken in the second half, but he was certainly lacking some confidence there at points in the second half. But I, I think that's something that he'll grow up and he'll he'll improve there. But yeah, I, I just, to me, I don't know what other people thought, but they're both kind of who I thought they were. Florida, really good, solid team, not elite. Bama, really, really, really good, but not the same level Bama team that we've seen in the past. I think it all kind of played itself out on Saturday in that game. Okay. Well, finally, if you were actually watching the game on TV, you saw Arch Manning on the screen like 50 Oh, did Charlie, times. did you watch the replay a little bit? I did. I kept fast forwarding and there they were. Yep. Uh, you also heard the entire story of the Manning family. And when you have that kind of high profile, you know, recruit on campus, there are going to be some questions. Yes, people want to know. So, Jonathan says he knows it's early, but from the tape, have you seen that you've seen is he worth the hype you know honestly i'll be uh, sorry jonathan also wants you to compare him to trevor lawrence and justin fields i haven't really dug into arch manning a ton i've seen some stuff he's got on huddle but i haven't watched usually i watch huddle videos multiple multiple times to get a really good feel for these guys i haven't i've watched it through one time so because i'm kind of focused on the 2022 class i'll i'll put some more time into arch manning i just want to be honest there up front about it i don't want to try to pretend i know something that i don't really know but just kind of watching that that highlight tape one run through he's a good player he's um a tall long quarterback that looks like a young peyton there a little bit um he's he been like 
I'd never seen his, his face, I guess. He looks like, I know he's a junior. He looks like he's like 13 years old. Did you like? Yeah, he does look really young. Really, really young. Um, but he's going to be good. Uh, he's got, he's got a, a nice release. He's got a nice high release there. He shows solid accuracy. He can push the ball vertically down the field. And mobile enough, not a dual threat guy, but he can, he, he can move around a little bit better than Peyton, I guess I would say. Um, but how would I compare to Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields coming out of high school? Oh, Trevor Lawrence is far more advanced coming out of high school. This is what I've seen from like again one one viewing through his his huddle tape. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was like a stud from day one in high school, and he was just man like he was a monster in high school. And Justin Fields didn't honestly, guys. Justin Fields didn't play all that much in high school. Uh, he wasn't the starter right away, and he got hurt, and he just didn't really play a ton. And that's one of the reasons that Fromm was ahead of Justin Fields in 2018. Because from just like a, a knowledge standpoint and a going through coverages standpoint, all that kind of stuff, because he just played a lot more in high school than Justin Fields. He was never the athlete or the the physical like specimen that Justin Fields was. We all know that, but he just played more. He had more experience. Fields didn't. So coming out of high school, Fields like had the the potential. You saw he was oozing with potential, um, but he wasn't as like I guess polished as a passer. But I, I would say Arch definitely not Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school. Fields, it's hard to say that Fields just didn't play that much. I'd probably put him ahead of Fields coming out of high school as a passer. Uh, I don't know if he has the the upside of Fields, but I'll dig into that a little bit more. But right now, through one view, I think he's a he's a guy that's going to be a really good player. I don't, I'm not ready to say he's going to be like a future one draft pick yet. That, that might be based on hype. I need to dig into more of that, but he's still going to be a good player. All right. And sticking with the Arch Manning theme, the last question comes from Bradley. He wants to know if you think we will get Arch Manning. I have figured this question would find its way onto this list. Do we get Arch Manning? Charlie, I, I have no idea. I will say his family had a great time there in Athens. Um, there is a connection. Someone asked me, like, what's the connection? Why is he even here? Like, wh- how are we even in this with him? Well, Kirby and, and Peyton are actually pretty tight. Uh, I know that seems kind of weird, but, you know, they, they you know, Kirby and, and Peyton played against each other in high school. Kirby, or in college, Kirby picked him off one time. So they, they know each other, you know, and, then, and they're, I don't want to say close, but, the, you know, they they have a good relationship. So that's that's part of it there. Uh, and, look, we have a great program to sell. Uh, it's not like we don't have something to sell here. And, uh, look, they had a great time. It was a great environment for them to be in there. They got to come to a night game and for us to – Put up some good numbers offensively like that for JT to, to push the ball vertically down the field and hit some explosive passing plays. It was nice for them to be able to see that. I don't know, man. Like I know Ole Miss, you know, obviously Archie and his lineage there. That's going to be a team that I think they, they live in New Orleans, I believe, right? I think that yeah, they live in Louisiana. So Ole Miss is going to be a factor there, especially if Lane Kiffin's there. We know what kind of offenses Lane Kiffin produces. But also watch out for Texas. Everything I hear is that Texas is also a major player with Steve Sarkeesian. Obviously, he's put Mac Jones in the first round. You got two in the first round, all those things. They look at all that kind of stuff. So, But I think he's open right now. Uh, I think we have a shot. And I think one thing that really helps us is if JT can, continues to put up massive numbers this year and uh, we can continue to win. If that happens and he sees that our offense has truly turned the corner and it's not the same old, same old Georgia offense, which is what teams have used to recruit negative against us for a long time with the receiver position and quarterback at times as well, although we've landed some good quarterbacks. But um, if we can put that to rest once and for all, that will certainly boost our odds. I would say like it's not likely he ends up in Athens, but we're certainly not out of it. Things like, you know, games like last night, those kind of experiences certainly go a long way. And I think we will continue to be right in the thick of things throughout his entire recruitment. I expect that he we Whenever in a year or so he releases like a top 10, we'll be in it. When he breaks down to a top five or top three, I feel good about us being in it. Now, ultimately landing him, that's going to be an uphill battle, but you just never say never or be smart. We'll be in until the end. 
Well, that's all for today. That's it? That's it. All right, guys. Well, we really appreciate it. As always, thank you for all the questions. Hopefully, we did at least a decent job of answering those. I will be back later on this week on Wednesday with our Vanderbilt game preview episode. And then Charlie and I will be back at the end of the week to wrap things up with our week four picks of the week. We're actually excited about it this week. We actually had a good week with our picks this week. Got back on track. So we'll do that later on the week, guys. But thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always... Go dogs!